Hello, and welcome to The Aura, a podcast that takes you inside and outside the work of art in discussion with those who create, curate, write, think about, and enjoy contemporary art. My name is Cheryl Sim, and I am curator and managing director of the Phi Foundation for Contemporary Art in Montreal. Through his participatory installations and projects, Li Mingwei sets up opportunities for strangers to meet and to be transformed by that encounter. He establishes the conditions through which visitors may contemplate issues of trust, intimacy, self-awareness, and impermanence through everyday acts such as walking, sleeping, eating, and conversing. Born in Taiwan, Li Mingwei spent many of his adolescent years in California and then moved to the East Coast, where he received an MFA from Yale in 1997. I have been following his work for quite a few years and was delighted when he accepted to present one of his early works, Money for Art, and the gorgeous performance-activated work Sonic Blossom at DHC Art as part of Loughre, the Foundation's 10-year anniversary exhibition that explored the concept of gift. Curious and warm, he is the kind of person you can easily pour your heart out to after you've only just met. I had the wonderful opportunity to speak to him about his work when he was in Montreal in October of 2017. Li Mingwei, thank you so much for being in the show, for agreeing to be part of L'Offre. It's such a thank pleasure you. for us. Thank you, Cheryl. It's <laughs> great to be back in Montreal. <laughs> And um, it's my first time to do a project or two projects in Canada. So it's a great honor and a great pleasure. Mm -hmm. I thought we could start with talking about some major um, thematics that come out in the body of your work. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of interest in connection and human interaction I think about the sewing project, the mm -hmm. moving garden, where you engage uh, the visitor in a very meaningful way. Mm -hmm. I, I think of ritual yes. with mm -hmm. the letter writing project, um, remembrance, of course, mm -hmm. through uh, 100 Days with Lily mm -hmm. and Fabric of Memory. And then there's something also about value mm -hmm. that comes through a lot and um, continuity, but also this the importance of an incompletion mm. or that something is never fully finished and and i think yes. about guernica and sand yes that project as well but um perhaps you can talk a little bit about some of the themes that that are really germane to your uh to your journey as an artist yes of course i what came to my mind immediately is the idea of impermanence so with all my project, I always think that it's important to have a sense of um, tension in the work. The tension of my work actually falls right on the idea of impermanence and also the idea of the unknown. So, for example, the moving garden that you have just described, it's a very simple project about gift between strangers, like most of my projects. So when you come to the museum, there's going to be a very large installation of black granite with a river inside, a small ravine in, in the um, 
table, actually, mm-hmm. about 45 foot long. Every day there are hundreds of fresh flowers in the ravine. The idea is that if you decide to participate in the project, you're welcome and you're invited to take a flower with you when you leave the museum. However, you must do two things for yourself and for me and for the person you're going to meet. So the idea is that you will give the flower to a complete stranger while making a detour to your next destination. It seems like a very simple gesture, you know, who everybody gave flower to somebody before, Mm -hmm. but this time it's to a stranger. And, you know, when you hold a piece of flower in your hand and you saw someone walking toward you, your mind starts asking questions. Right. Should I give it to this person? What should I say? How would this person perceive me? Blah, blah, blah. If you start thinking in that way, two or three seconds later, that person passes you and that chance is gone. So um, I always think it's a very brave and courageous act when a visitor decided to participate in the moving garden. Mm -hmm. So that is the unknown Mm -hmm. and the tension in this work called moving garden. Mm -hmm. If there's no such tension, meaning if we just see a lot of beautiful flowers and you're welcome to take it home with you, that is a beautiful installation visually. However, However, emotionally, And spiritually, for me, it's quite dull. Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful, and that's it. What I've also come to know about about you and your work is that um, practice and life seem inextricably linked. Mm. One doesn't end and another begins. Mm. Would you agree with that? Very much so. I often think that I'm quite a lazy artist because I'm (laughs) not in a studio making things like my wonderful colleagues are. They're always so busy. And the other day I was talking to a cuter friend of mine and I confessed that, you know, I I, I really think I'm actually a very lazy artist. (laughs) And she looked at me kind of surprisingly, I mean, with a surprise on her face. And she used to say, meanwhile, I never thought of you as a lazy artist. I always thought that you really, really enjoy what you do. So everything you do is a part of your life and it becomes part of your work. That's why you always feel you're playing and you're having fun. That's why you don't think you're working. Mm-hmm. And I thought what she said has some merits to it because I really love Every morning when I wake up, I just love the events that's waiting for me to to encounter. And some of them, I don't know what they are going to be. Mm-hmm. And some of them I have planned already. Mm-hmm. So I'm a very lucky person to be able to enjoy my work. I once heard you speak at the Fine Art Museum in Boston. Mm-hmm. And you spoke about creativity. Someone asked you, where do you get your ideas? Mm-hmm. Perhaps you could reconstruct your answer. (laughs) Yes, of course. People often do ask me, where do I find Mm -hmm. my ideas? I usually would tell them that I don't go look for ideas. They come look for me. Just like when each one of you goes to bed tonight, 
you wake up the next morning with dreams. You didn't go look for those dreams. The dreams came look for you. And because you were ready to be the bed of this, these mm -hmm. visions and ideas and emotion, that's why it became part of you. It's the same thing with projects uh, that they somehow enter my consciousness. Some of them are so strong that they just remain there without me being able to verbalize them. Some of them are very dull. They just came and went. And some of them are strong enough, but I didn't really have the space, the time, the funding to create the work or to realize the work. So it would stay with me. Often I realize these ideas are quite precious and quite important for me as an artist, that they are quite persistent mm -hmm. in terms of just staying in my consciousness right. and waiting for that perfect moment to be realized. So from the top of my head, I can think of probably about seven or eight of these projects were like that. So when they arrived and made known to me, I welcomed them. It makes me, you know, it, it makes me think about your early work or mm. in your undergrad mm. years, you were more of a textile artist. You're exploring I was. textiles. I and, was, yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess your work took a turn to a little more conceptual. Mm. Would that be fair to say when you yes. went to Yale to do your MFA? Yes. Yes. Um, because your installations are as um, sumptuously mm. visual, mm. formally engaging, as and it matches the depth of uh, mm. the conceptual work that mm. you're that you're also engaged with. Maybe you can talk about how those two things um, um, come together for you and what happened. Mm. This shift. Yes. So my first degree was actually in biology. I was a, a science major, biology major. And then I decided to go into fine arts. So I went to California College of Arts uh, in San Francisco and Oakland. I was majoring in architecture and textile. Right. I love both subject very mm. much and both gave me great great training uh, visual training and also aesthetic training of looking into structure of things uh, both are about structures so um the textile part of it is particularly interesting for me i study with my great mentor leah cook she has such patience for me mm. and i'm eternally grateful for her in terms of teaching me to be very, very patient and looking at the structure of the weave and to kind of realizing what holds the other together. When I started doing conceptual work, I realized that in order to hold a project together, there needs to be a structure. So it's about warp and weft in a sociological uh, part mm -hmm. of the relationship between people and society. So you need to create that, or I need to create that in order to hold the structure of the project together and sustain it. Therefore, I am 
taking the idea of warp and weft and mm -hmm. elevate it into a different dimension, which is much more of a social practice dimension. At the end of, uh, I think it was junior uh, in college, I started taking conceptual and theoretical classes mm -hmm. from two professors, Mark Thompson and Susan Lacey. Mm -hmm. So it's quite amazing for me to realize that art could be very, very much intertwined with daily activities. Mm -hmm. So that's when I jumped into what we know as social practice now, especially with Suzanne Lacey, uh, with her, her her work with the um, the community, the older community, the feminist community, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Mark Thompson with the bees. Um, it's really eye-opening experience. So when I went to grad school at Yale, I purposely wanted to study with Ronnie Horn and Anne Hamilton. They were some of my best uh, conversation I ever had in my life, actually, about art, about life. So I'm eternally grateful for these mm -hmm. teachers in my life. I can definitely see how those two influences, you know, have, have come out in, uh, in your work. Not, not directly in terms of form, mm. but definitely in terms of a spirit. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about the two works that are that are part of Luff. Yes. I mean, it w I was very honestly hard pressed to choose works because so much of what you do, as you say, is imbued with the the questions around gift, mm. the tensions, mm. and also the the beauty. Mm. So it was difficult to choose until I experienced Sonic Blossom at uh, the the Boston Museum of Fine Art. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that. And then I knew this has to be in the show. This is <laughs> this is something <laughs> very you. different for DHC Art. Um, we have never had a sort of um, participatory performance-based piece uh, before. Mm. And it was really exciting to be mm. able to do that. And it's a very involved process. And mm. we've been working with you for over a year to prepare for it. Yes. Thank you, Cheryl. So Sonic Blossom is a very, seemingly, again, very simple piece. When you come to the foundation on the fourth floor, a singer in a costume walks very slowly through all different levels of the gallery. Mm -hmm. And she might come up to you asking you, may I give you a gift of song? If that's what you feel like you wanted to have at that moment, then say yes. <laughs> she will bring you up to the fourth gallery, have you sit down in this relatively comfortable chair, mm -hmm. I hope. Yes. Turn around and sing one of the five Schubert's lead just for you. So a Schubert lead. It's an art song. Mm -hmm. It usually lasts for about three and a half minutes. It's a very intimate interaction between these two strangers. So the singer is singing with her little muscle mm -hmm. in her throat, mm -hmm. conveying all her emotion of gift for you. Although if you don't understand German, it's okay because her gesture of sincerity, her her love for you, mm -hmm. uh, for a stranger, and the beauty of the melody, I hope it's enough to move you in small or big way. I don't know, mm -hmm. uh, because really, 
when someone gives you a gift, it's up to you to feel how much you want this gift, right? This project has been exhibited in probably about nine. This is the tenth、um, oh, wow. time. Oh wow! How fortuitous for a tenth anniversary! Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, and、um, every time when an institution takes on a project such as Sony Blossom, I always. Uh, a friendly reminder to the institution, the curator and the director, saying, "I just want to make sure that when you take on a project like this, you're ready to have some kind of transformation within your institution because it's a work that's that's going to transform people,、mm-hmm. not only your visitors but also the caretaker who takes care of the singer, the singer themselves, and the staff within、yes. the institution." So.、Um, I am very sure that will happen in this mm-hmm. foundation mm-hmm. when it's up for almost almost well four and a half months. Yeah, that's what yeah, I think. Good long four, run. Four four、mm-hmm. and a half months.、Mm-hmm. So、um, we prepare when you come and、uh, enjoy it and just let your instinct go、mm-hmm. with it、mm-hmm. and see what happens. The the leader is very significant. Again,、mm-hmm. um, to a situation in your personal life. Yes, that's right. Because、um, people ask me why the leader. If it was in Taiwan, why wasn't a Taiwanese folk song or、right. a pop song in Korea? I said the reason why it was、um, Schubert's leader is because when I was young,、um, growing up in Taiwan. Taiwan, being a subtropical island in the Pacific, it's quite hot during、right. summer. <laughs> I was a very rambunctious child. I would be running around the garden just with the puppies that we、yeah. had. <laughs> My mom, being a very clever person, she played Schubert's Leader in a very low volume.、Mm-hmm. So I would say, "Mom, could you please turn up the music? I couldn't hear."、Ah. So mom said, "Well, honey, you just have to be very quiet,、ah, sit、so、underneath can... that banyan tree, and <laughs> listen." In a way, she tricked me into、uh, being a very quiet child、exactly. for those thirty minutes, <laughs> how long、yes. that disc lasts.、Mm-hmm. But it was the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful memory I have、mm-hmm. with my mother and the puppies and、mm-hmm. my family. So six years ago, when I was taking care of my mother when she was going through surgery in Taipei, I played the same disc for her. Luckily, we still had that. We still also had the disc、wow. player. <laughs> <laughs> so、um, that was when I was commissioned、uh, to come up with an idea for the inauguration of the National Museum of Modern and Contemporary Art in Korea. So. I propose this project called Sony Blossom.、Mm-hmm. It's a gift of song、mm-hmm. between two strangers. Tell me a bit about the importance of preparing the singers and our staff. As you、yes. mentioned, it's getting ready for transformation. Yes. And how does that translate practically <laughs> into instructions? Yes. Good questions. <laughs> <laughs> so,、um, as I mentioned before, the singer. Always wear a costume that I have designed with my dear friend Kalima. The costume is made of two pieces of Japanese silk obi,、mm-hmm. and it looks—it's a very opulent、mm-hmm. um, costume. And the reason why I mention this particular costume because Kalima and 
Kalima and I named this type of costume for Sonny Blossom as transformation costume. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that when a singer wears this costume, they have been transformed into what I always think as demigods. Right. They are not humans anymore. Mm-hmm. They're a different creature that is able to bring gift from somewhere up there to us uh, human beings. So they are the conduit of this gift. So the importance of that costume came to my realization when the project was presented in Museum of Contemporary Art in Sydney last year. The curator called me and said, there is a lot of wear and tear on the costume. Would it be okay for them to take it to a conservator? Therefore, the singer would not have mm-hmm. the costume for a week. Would it be okay for them right. just if they just wear black mm-hmm. and then without the costume? And I said, yeah, sure, that's okay. So fairly quickly, I got emails from the... Um, singers, Mm. they were saying that while they understand why they don't have the Mm -hmm. costume, however, they wanted me to know that they feel extremely naked. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they don't have the power anymore to give this gift, a very special gift. And being a little bit apologetic when they went up to a person say, may I give you a gift song? Without this costume, they just feel yeah odd to yes. do that so that was the moment i realized goodness me that really is a transformation mm-hmm. costume mm-hmm. for this singer to become something different it's like a magic cloak yes perhaps it would be very interesting to hear from you one of the marking stories and yes. the, these experiences that have left a trace with you when the project was at the met in new york couple of years ago, it was situated in the Sackler Gallery in the East Asian collection. So the room was a very large gallery with the Ming Dynasty mural Mm. uh, as a backdrop of the gods descending with instruments and ribbons flying and flowers descending from the sky. And then there were these two gigantic Tang Dynasty sculptures of of, uh, Bodhisattva and Buddha Mm. from the 7th century China, about 12 feet tall. So the Sonic Blossom was situated in between these two gigantic Buddha. Mm. So you could just imagine the whole space is quite sacred. The last day of the Sonic Blossom at the Met. Miss Lee was the singer for this experience. So she saw an elderly lady that was sitting quite far away from the whole thing, but clearly was listening, observing for three hours without looking at what is happening. She was just there listening. So Miss Lee just thought that she wanted to give her last gift to this person who has been so kind just being there. She went up to her and said, may I give you a gift of song? This lady looked up and said, "Um, yes, I also will understand your singing because I'm from Germany. Mm. 
So she sat down, and Yongji, Miss Ling, started singing. And within three, four measures, this lady started crying, and then she broke into this howling. She was howling so loud and violently that her 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 voice is covering up the singer's voice that we could not really hear the singing. So Yongji continued singing, finished, and then went up to her and hugged her and just expressed her very complex emotion, you know, mm-hmm. sorrow, gratitude. Yes. yes. The lady sort of gathered her 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 thought uh, and told Yongji that this was a very important song for her because it was her daughter's favorite song. And her daughter was an opera singer. And um, the last time she heard the song was at her funeral. Mm. So she died in an airplane accident just a month, a few months ago. And um, her friend sang this for her at her funeral. And she really believed that her daughter was in the room, in between the Buddhas, witnessing, in a way, asking her to accept her departure. There are other stories such so powerful as those. And I really think there's something bigger mm-hmm. than our understanding what the world is composed of to make something like that happen. From what I also understand, um, this woman was from Germany. Yes, yeah. And she felt compelled. She'd never left Germany before. And yeah, you're right. Yeah, so basic. I went up to her um, later on and introduced myself. So she says she never been to America before. One day she woke up and had this urge of coming to America. So she bought a ticket to come to New York. Once she put her luggage in the hotel, she just came to Met without knowing why, and then made a beeline to the Sackler Gallery. As you know, the Sackler Gallery is not actually quite easy to find. It's on the second floor of the Met toward the back. So she just went there as if someone is guiding her. And then she heard people singing, and she was there for three hours. It's an an incredibly beautiful, haunting Mm. story. It gives me goosebumps. Well, on another level, in terms of your preoccupations, is the piece Money for Art. Yes. Um, Some of the, in sort of varying degrees... Uh, a lot of the artists' work in the show speak to the issue of money. Mm. And also because when we're talking about gift exchange, it's really difficult to extract the commerce part of it. Mm. And we're often thinking about, um, you know, when you're trying to get something for somebody, you know, in a very banal, everyday way, Mm. you know, how much should you spend and what's appropriate? You know, what's too much or too little? (laughs) And I love how this piece speaks directly to the tactility and also the conceptual idea of value of art. Mm, mm. So maybe you could tell, talk to me a little bit about how that project came about. Yeah, the Money for Art project, I consider that as one of my first Mm -hmm. performative work that lasts for a whole year. 
it's definitely not durational work. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did was I, I just uh, went to Cafe Floor in San Francisco. This is early in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Sat in the cafe, took out a $10 bill, started making it into an abstract origami form. It's a quite a complex form, so mm-hmm. it took me about 45 minutes. I'm getting wow. better. It took me 30 minutes last time <laughs> I did it. And um, people were quite interested in what I was doing. So they would sit down and kind of go through the process together. And at the end, I would ask them if they would like to have this piece of artwork. If they do, please provide me with their phone number so I can call them every six months for a year. Basically, call them twice to Mm -hmm. find out what happened to this $10 sculpture. Because with this origami $10 sculpture, you could literally just took it apart within Mm -hmm. seconds. So there were nine willing participants. They gave me their phone number, except the homeless person, John, who actually lived around, and still lives there, around the cafe floor area. I, you know, after six months, somebody used it to buy moccasins, somebody used it to buy Haagen-Dazs ice cream. And I was pointing it out yesterday, there were two Haagen-Dazs ice creams with two banana. I think with $10, you probably couldn't do that now. No. Um, and um, the homeless person, John, was very interesting. I just came back from San Francisco literally mm-hmm. two days ago. He was still there after all these years. Um, he's not homeless anymore. He would just go and hang out right. <laughs> in the floor area. He has 14, I think 14 or 15 of these $10 bills because whenever I go to see him, I will make him a oh. new one. He never ever transformed, transformed them. them. He <laughs> always kept them. And Amazing. it makes me feel so happy to ask him to be a part of it because originally I was quite hesitant to ask a homeless person to participate in a project that deals with money. Mm-hmm. But my professor just said, you should really ask him and let him tell you what he wants to do. Right. So luckily, he said he would love to be mm-hmm. a part of it. Mm-hmm. And now he owns 14 artworks in his wallet. Yes. And he he's able to carry sculptures around his wallet. So um, that really was a very beautiful story for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, these days, when an institution asked me to do money for art project, I was trying to, for example, for the foundation, I would say I was trying to <laughs> make the sculpture out of plastic money, which it's Our impossible. Plastic money. Yeah. Very impossible <laughs> yeah. because it doesn't take the crease. No. So now what you see is only the photo document. That's it of the 1993 uh, experience for the whole year. Exactly. Mm. So it's um, a five photo series where we see the nine original sculptures. Mm. And in the next panel, as we see um, who received them as well. So you have kind of occupation. Yes. And then you have uh, the panels that show us what transformed and what did not, what what stayed the sculpture. Yes. No, it's a a very, it's a really lovely project. And it um, uh, kind of sets a little bit of the tone Mm. for what we're talking about in the show. Um, The other uh, major text that informs the show is Lewis Hyde's Mm. The Gift. And uh, I actually had heard of it, but never, um, you know, hadn't had quite yet 
taken the time to to read it properly, and it and it's changed a lot about how I look at um, kind of Western civilization, mm. um, modern civilization in particular, and uh, our market economy, and how that is um, you know quickly uh, coming to a very violent end mm. because there's only so much we can do with um, a kind of production model. Mm. And Lewis Hyde's The Gift um, talks about this, uh, talks about gift economy or gift exchange mm. as a whole way of, of being. Mm. And I find that uh, incredibly um, hopeful, you know, that because as he points out, through citing things like uh, Laissez sur le don mm. by Marcel Mauss is that gift exchange has been in existence as a way yeah. of, of kind of organizing societies mm. and maintaining a sense of connection for the well-being of everybody mm. uh, for, you know, for centuries. And there are many societies that still practice yes. uh, a kind of gift uh, exchange mentality. Mm. And it's not without its own tensions, right? Mm, because yes. there's a responsibility mm. involved there. It's yeah. like if someone lets that ball drop, mm -hmm. if the gift does not continue to circulate, mm. then we have a problem. Yes. And so everybody feels some level of obligation mm. to keep that gift circulating. I would like to know, I know you read it mm -hmm. as well quite a while ago, yes. what this book has... What kind of bearing it's had on on your way of, of being and doing? Oh, I think my practice um, without Lewis High's book, my practice would be very dull. Mm. <laughs> so um, the first time I encountered Lewis High's book, The Gift, mm -hmm. was uh, in Taiwan. And it was a pirated copy in oh, Mandarin. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> a different form of gift, right? Right. <laughs> so, um, and I just thought, wow, you know, I I was early 20 at that time, and I have some idea of what Louise was talking about, but not completely. And then the more when I, you know, throughout time and I reread the book in English, mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, hopefully, I can read in French. Yes. <laughs> so, um, I I always get many other things out of it, um, besides from the one I got. But really, really is so powerful. Every time when I read that book, is the idea of not to keep the gift mm -hmm. in you. It right, needs right. to circulate. It needs to be alive. If you keep the gift in you and hoarding it, right. I don't think Louis say this, but I think if you keep the gift, for me, it becomes a poison. It poisons everything. So you need to let it go and let the beauty of the gift continue so it doesn't get staled and become uh, a violent force within your life. So it, it transforms, mm -hmm. it, it mm -hmm. changes mm -hmm. um, just because you're keeping it. Yesterday, I was just um, watching a video about the collapse of um, contemporary art market. Oh. <laughs> it was very interesting. It was made um, by a BBC reporter around 2008, 2009. So basically, there are these art collectors and dealers who have 
like tens of Andy Warhol and Damien Hurd's work all in the storage, literally hoarding it. Right. So, um, and I just started thinking, these works are in storage, and there, there are so many of them in one person's possession. It's not good. It、mm-hmm. really, it's not good for the artist. It's not good for the art. It's not for good for anybody. So,、um, and that makes me start thinking about、yeah. Lewis Hyde's、yeah. work again. That's an excellent point.、Mm. You know, the and and it is it is really this kind of the the hoarding or like、mm. uh, when you when you hold on to things、um, and you don't allow well the aura、yes. you know of、yeah. or spirit of the gift to、yeah. be shared.、Yeah. Uh, I can see how that would corrupt, be a corrupting mm. force. Mm, yes, and、um, a very good point about、um, killing the gift. Mm, mm. You've been blessed with an inner gift, and and、uh, we are very pleased to、um, be able to present them within the gift of the foundation. Thank you so much. Thank、Cheryl. you very much, Mingwei, for speaking with me today. Thank you for listening to the Aura. This podcast was conceived by the Phi Foundation for Contemporary Art, and produced and recorded at the Phi Center in Montreal. <laughs>